Okay, here we go, here we go. Find a place, here we go, here we go. Just stand where you are, let's pray, and then we'll, we got so much to do, we'll just get settled. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of the living God, have mercy upon us sinners. Amen. All right, welcome back. There's always seats in the front, you know. There's always seats in the front. This is a very young, handsome table here. There's a lot of seats available here at the Simpsons. And um, How you doing? Everybody good? Nice to see you. Welcome back. I feel like I haven't seen you forever, so um, that's probably what summer is supposed to do, so that's good. Uh, I got a zillion things to talk about. Anything you want to talk about? You got questions about anything? No? Okay, let's kind of tick through the list. In the basket, put money for toward Florida. Um, I talked to Steve Chester. Our guys may go, if invited, in the next couple of weeks. Um, they're probably not going to Houston because a lot of that is mucking out buildings and tearing out drywall and stuff like that. And their skills are a little high, higher level because they bring the bobcat, they bring chainsaws, uh, and they're, they're often given harder tasks. So we want to, we're kind of up our game a little bit this year with those folks. Um, we try to support them a little bit more. They're doing thousands and thousands of dollars for... For example, you know, they took a tree off, a, I think it was a parsonage, the bid was a few thousand dollars, and they come in and do it for free. You know, that's a very helpful thing. Or they knocked a house down for some members in one of the towns out by Ottawa. You know, the bid was twelve to $15,000, and our guys went and did it for free. So you start to add up the dollar cost of, of what they're able to do with the trailer and the bobcat and chainsaws and a lot of sweat equity. So, you know, not everybody can go to Florida. We don't know if it'll work out. But we're at least, we want to get some money available so that we can help them. Often those folks have paid for their own uh, meals and mileage, gas and that kind of stuff. And we want to try to take some of that burden off so we can play along too. Yes, Mrs. Chester. Um, There is a thing in the bulletin about um, getting the basic training for Two weeks from yesterday, yeah. I bet if you want to get some basic training to be part of Lutheran Emergency Relief, um, you know, you can go to this thing. The other thing is, down on the board and also in the, in the Life Together, there is a number where you can very easily give money through the Missouri Senate. That's great. But here's the other thing. If you're interested in giving a larger amount, you know, $100,000, $1,000, give it through St. John and let us know about it, and we'll make sure that it goes. I mean, it'll go directly to, you know, no friction, um, it'll go directly to that kind of care. So just, you know, just kind of, just kind of keep it in mind. This is kind of a burgeoning thing in the church. It works really well. The people are really dedicated. We have how many people do we have doing this now? Jody, do you know how many? Or Jan? There's around 30 on the list. There's about six or eight that are members of the because they've been put on our team because they don't have a team their Gotcha. Yeah, that's really great. So, all right, so that's the first thing. Um, that all good? Questions about any of that? So, and we do have people, of course, we have people who have homes in Florida. We have, you have friends who have homes in Florida, and it's, it's going to be, um, you know, it's going to be difficult this next week or so. But people know what they're doing, so, you know, hunker down and help them out. Next thing, just random things across the summer. Um, I did, uh, like you, I heard the kids this summer. Waiting for it? Waiting for it? Yeah, they were, it was loud. You know why? Because we got a whole bunch of new people whose kids have never been in church before. We also have a lot of young people. So, you know, this kid over here goes, eh, and that kid goes, eh, and that kid goes, eh. You hear two, 300 kids. It's only three kids, but they're just playing, okay? 
and I realize, I realize that, um, you know, I realize it's harder for you to hear and blah, blah, blah. So here are some solutions, okay? One is, if it really gets to you, use the hearing thing, which you can download and works fabulously from your, from your um, smartphone. I mean, it's so easy. If you don't have a smartphone, we will give you a smartphone. We have a collection, really, of old iPhones. That you, we're not going to let you make calls during the service, but we will let you hook into the Wi-Fi. We will give you whatever you need. We will give you an iPhone. We will set it up for you. You push one button, you'll hear everything crystal clear. That's the first thing. Second is, last week Pastor Bukes um, walked, and John Crow had set this up, and I'd called before, so we called the guys who did our sound, you know, and we said, you know, this doesn't really work that well. And, of course, they said what we knew, which is, yeah, we bid the job at $140,000, and you put in $40,000. So it's a little like having a car without an engine. Right, it doesn't work very well. So, you know, they came back, and they said, you know, for $80,000, we can fix it. Fix it means they would put nine-foot-long speakers embedded into the uh, pillars in the front of the church, and the rest of the speakers would largely go away. They might position a few of them because that's still difficult for us to hear sometimes in the back. They could also, we could also, maybe for another five or $10,000, we could put acoustical tile in the very back, which would absorb the sound under the balcony, which currently acts like a band shell. So this is why we push, this is why we push children forward. We push them forward. This is the reason why, because it, it's, it's actually softer if they squawk in the front, Right? Plus, we're lighting things on fire and flashing things at them, and it's better, okay? But here's the thing. Um, you know, there's that. There's also, I talked to, you know, we never really finished the painting, and we never really got it quite right. The ceiling was supposed to be blue with stars, and the wall color, we didn't quite get it right. Blah, blah, blah. So, you know, there's a bunch of fun things. And I may write you a letter about this and say, um, just so you know, the governing board has this list of things to do. It's 15 or 20 things long. Some things are not interesting to you at all, like knocking the building down next door. But that's going to be fifty dollars or $100,000 to knock it down. It's full of lead paint and asbestos, and it's a mess, and the roof is coming in, and it's not safe. And we're going to have to either knock it down or it's going to fall down. We'll, if we choose, we can. So there's a list of things. Or finishing the doors, right? Our doors are from France. Which, of course, means they're also like 50 years old, and you can't get the pieces for them anymore. The French, they're boycotting us. So, uh, you know, and they're old doors, and they were expensive, and blah, blah, blah. So, you know, all the bottom doors need to be replaced, so they, you know, they lie. We have all these. So we have a list of fun things, and we have a list of other things. The great news is you've been very faithful, although I will say to you, you get no credit for the past. Tithe. Give alms. Tithe. <laughs> Because here's the thing, we got to keep paying the bill, all right? So, you know, last year was a good year. I think, you know, I think we finished like $120,000 to the good. That's, that's great. We reset the odometer at zero, right? Not legal with cars, but legal in the church. So um, just as you're going in, will you please, you know, kind of take your paycheck, move the decimal point over, you know, <laughs> once and then give us that much okay so um you know try to get to 10 percent. give alms to the poor kind of move things around i may although write your letter and say hey here's some fun things that we could be doing like fixing the speakers or fixing the paint or you know i'm not sure how many i walk downstairs i always when i walk downstairs i always feel like we're giving the kids short shrift did you take your kids down to sunday school this morning i'm like really you know it's a little dark and the carpet's old and We'd replace it. We just have to do some things. There are things that we could do to always look better, do better, and things need to. And there's always things that 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 go badly, right? Um, 
You know, we had one week where we suddenly had $175,000 of repairs, just like this, right? And so you kind of go, oh, yeah, okay. Um, you know, and that's not, not for you to worry about so much. It's more for the governing board and for John to worry about and, and us a little bit. But, you know, just please keep being faithful. You know, check your giving. Try to do better. Um, we'll keep going. But I may write you a letter at some point and say, hey, uh, do you want to play along? We haven't had a capital campaign. I don't think that we really want to do a full-blessed capital campaign. We may just say, if this... For example, if you've got extra money lying around, or if you're new and never played in a capital campaign, or if you just you know, have, are at a different point in your life, we may just say, hey, you know, let's want to do some of these things and see what happens. I need to talk to the elders and the governing board about that. So anyway, keep going. Um, along with, you know, keep coming to church. It's great in the morning. It just seems like it kind of gets bigger and bigger in the mornings at 740, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Come to the Eucharist. It's really nice. It's really great. Um, and and be there's a lot of visitors. This is always the time for a lot of visitors. Please be welcoming. Help them out. You know, help with the hymnals. Help with their kids. You all know the drill. Um, kids can run around the back a little bit, but we want to still keep kids in. It was interestingly quiet this morning. The first service was jammed, but quiet. See, see people kind of kids sort of learn. Everybody else is being quiet. It's going to be okay. So, all right, we got a lot of things to um, kind of pick up. Okay, the alert stuff, other stuff. Other stuff beyond that. I was gone this last week. It was this kind of interesting. Out of the blue, I got um, a letter from the Lilly Foundation, which is like Lilly Drugs. That family, of course, made tons of money. And they were Christians, and they left uh, a big pile of money. You know how when you drive through Iowa and there's these big piles of corn, like the, like the cribs are full, and then they have to pile it on the ground? In Indiana, there's a pile of money like that from the Lilly family. <laughs> They hardly know how to spend it. So um, I spent the last week with some up at St. John's in Collegeville, kind of a famous place. 34 years ago, they had, you know, 400 monks and 1,200 nuns. I mean, this is a vibrant sort of community. So, you know, the morning for me, I could, uh, um, you know, morning prayer with the monks is an otherworldly kind of experience. And it's famous. I mean, it's a famous place. A lot of, you know, like Prairie Home Companion started there. I was talking to the guy who, Garrett, he's like, yeah, when I was a student, Garrison Keeler kind of got this started in the dining hall, you know, or liturgical presses there. Arthur Just's book on the liturgy, published by liturgical press, that's the place. Or, really interesting, two abbots ago, you know, this guy was a German immigrant. He, I mean, he's probably one of the few people in the world, maybe the only person in the world, when he was young, he went back to Germany and went to a Hitler rally and came back and said, this is going to go very badly. And he also marched in Selma. Can you imagine this? A white German monk who was both at a Hitler rally and at Selma? I mean, that's an amazing life, okay? That's kind of fun stuff. Well, anyway, somehow, I did actually figure out how later. Um, they found out about St. John, and they, they wrote me a letter and said, we hear that St. John is a really friendly community, and that people really love each other, and that you figured out how to get a whole bunch of people together. And then they said, you know, it's not that hard in a smaller, if you have 100 people, it's not that small. But if you have 1,000 people, it's difficult. So this is a question about how do you do that? So we were the sort of larger kind of, maybe it looked like what we think is normal, but of course they don't think we look like normal. Anyway, the point of this is, this is an ongoing thing. I'm going to go a couple times a year. For two years or three years or four years, depending on how long the pile of money lasts, and um, basically talk about you behind your back. Right? So how is it that St. John can hold together? Because what apparently from their studies, this is really an unlikely thing. 
that this many people um, here can figure out how to live together in kindness. You know, I have some ideas. I've been here a long time, and I think if I sat down with you who have been here, you know, 10 or 20 years, you'd have some ideas about it too. Um, so I gave, you know, you had to, it's, it's pretty intense because it's all, it's a very high-level conversation, and, you know, you know, one day it went kind of eight hours, so it's pretty, like, you know, pay attention, and, um, you know, I went back to school too. So, but I sort of said, you know, the definition of community, you can test this is... Um, Trust born of love, right? Um, but for me, it's an extraordinarily rich thing because I have to rethink and then, of course, defend everything that we do here from people who um, there was only one other person who sort of looked like me. And um, it's a wide range of um, gender orientation, age, denominations. It's very interesting. So... Uh, yeah, I'm still waiting to make my pitch that the Eucharist is the center of everything. So we'll see what happens. I thought I was going to get a little cover from the Catholics or the Orthodox, but I don't have any in my group. It's just a, it's just, so I was like kind of out there by myself. Uh, it was kind of interesting. But I'm, see, I'm old too. Like I, I, I found myself saying things like, well, you know, I'm about twice as old as you are. So I'm like, I can't believe the words are actually coming out of my mouth. What are you, a troublemaker? How does that build community? Uh, here, let me counter offer you. Go, go out and have some coffee in the garden outside. Admire the flowers and say a prayer for the organ. How about that? Because, you know, everybody should go see those flowers, right? So Carol Tonys would like you, along with her garden club, would like you to go out, and frankly, it's worth it. If you should go out and just admire the flowers in the back patio, it's a fabulous, fabulous thing. Organ update is um, the guy is supposed to start September 19th. We, you know, cross our fingers, hold our breath, and hope for the best. So here, let me just a short organ story for you. Just so, you know, this is like kind of full disclosure. The, in all our troubles, the only payment we ever missed of any sort was $66,000 to the organ guy. The organ guy said... I'll stick with you, but that puts you to the end of the list. Five years after the date it was supposed to be completed, our day now comes up. We've had to pay some additional money because we cost him money. He had to hire extra people. He had to store some things for us. He had to outsource some things. And, uh, frankly, the most devastating thing probably is his father died. And his father was the supervisor, the installer. So John Crow could tell us, but I believe there have one or two people coming over from Europe. Um, Women? John, are you here? Yeah, I'm here. Women? Yeah. One or two? Yeah, and there's, there's a guy coming from Europe. It's, it's a man, but there's a couple ladies who work in the shop. Work in the shop here, yeah. The 18th, there'll be two people. They'll be here for three or four weeks. The third person will join them in October. Um, so you should see a lot of, uh, lot of action in the next few weeks. I'm not going to promise you Christmas, but I would give you five to one on Easter, Carol. Uh, if you want to get a bet down on this, I'm available for you, okay? <laughs> you know, it's one of these things, that, you know, the thing is we have to get it all going together. You know, the paint, the ceiling, the wall, the acoustics, you know, all the speakers. If we can kind of get all these things, they should have all been wrapped up together at once, but that's water over the dam. What we'd like to do is have a strong year where we can come through, put a few hundred thousand dollars together and kind of maybe in this year push all these things through. So when we're here next year, we're all going, yeah, that was, uh, it's way better than it was. 
Uh, let's see, what else? Anything else I've forgotten you've been curious about? We, Zeller, you're here too, Carol Heidorn, you've got to be here somewhere. There are things that we, like are there governing board things, people, things that people need to know, midterm updates, anything we should talk about? Carol wants to have a photo directory. She is not a millennial. I mean, you didn't know this. Or an iGen. She likes paper in her hands, as do I. Or digital. Or digital, yes, right. So we're going to talk about you in just a minute, right? So, for example, in this thing that I'm in, one of the questions, one of the lead questions for the next time is the digital community a real community? Isn't that kind of interesting, right? We're going to talk about this in just a minute from another direction. Photo directory is coming up. Did we pick a week? Is it the week after Thanksgiving or so? We've got two sessions, and one is the second week of November, and then the last week of November for pictures. So in November. Right, and then the pictures will all be in everybody's hands after Christmas. How about that? So anyway, photo directory coming up. Especially you people who have never had your picture taken. We know who you are, so let's go, okay? All right, anything else? We got anything else? What's that? Oktoberfest is coming. Uh, bring your friends, buy a lot of food. Bring your friends, buy more food. Your friends, food. Friends, yeah. Because I came literally 17 minutes after last year. The whole table was empty. I was like, mm, mm, mm. Like, really? 17 minutes? I was just, you know, normal party starting time. So, um, but you, steak fries are coming. Steak fries. Poke fire. Eat things. All right, what else? Everything else? Everything else Okay. All right, easy segue into that, into what? Um, the pastors spend the summer mostly talking about how to pick topics. Um, Pastor Bukes and Pastor Nelson beat me to the topic that I had actually begun to buy books, but I hadn't talked to them. So then they beat me to it and advertised, which is if you're, uh, so let me put a plug in for women's Bible studies, should be fascinating. They're going to do Song of Songs, which nobody ever does, which is basically a love story and a bit racy. Um, when you were training to be a rabbi in Jesus' time, you couldn't read Song of Psalms till you were over 30. They didn't think you could take it, right? Now, I know you're all going to rush home and read it today, but, uh, I mean, here's the thing. Yeah, well, you're over 30, exactly. You may say, like that? I didn't, really? So, um, this whole notion of what love is, and of course, and Pastor Nelson has been away for a week uh, with the Theology of the Body folks, you who went to his Friday thing. I mean, he's very, I mean, he's really absorbing this, and it is really the next thing. All the things about gender and orientation and sexuality and marriage and love, and it's, I mean, it is just, it's the inescapable topic for the next 10 or 20 or 30 years. It'll just be the topic until it's not, but, so it's nice that he's kind of right on the edge of that. So they have a, a commentary um, that they're going to use, but I, it's a fabulous topic uh, about what it is to love. So even the sermon this morning, love is to, the opposite of love is not to hate, but to use people, right? See, that's just so simple, right? And so profound. You know, the opposite, hate, forget about hating people. That takes too much work. I'll just use you for my own purposes. I mean, that's easy. Everything from sex trafficking to how you treat your kids, right? It's all on the spectrum of that. So we sort of sit around and we say, you know, where do we think the congregation is? What do we think it is most problematic? Oftentimes people will say to us, you know, could we do this or could we do that? But often we find that those needs are not based on, those are more personal needs. Like I've always been interested in this, to which we can usually give you something to read. But we try to feel the character of the room, and we also try to think about the world outside. And one of the things I've observed over the past few years then is the distress that you felt as the world has shifted under your feet. And 
it's not just about uh, millennials. You know, there's the next generation under the millennials. So 94, 95 has now sort of been established at the, as the dividing age. So my, uh, my kids were born, my twins were born in what year, Kirby? 624, 94, you thought I didn't know. So, um, you know, they're right, on the, they're right on the edge of, you know, this cusp of uh, millennials and, or what's being called first gen, iGen, you know, like iPhone, iGeneration. Um, we're going to talk about them in just a second. But um, so you've got, you've got to, if you're my age, you have at least, at least two generations, which you probably don't understand very much about, who frankly are extraordinarily different. And the world has shifted. I've talked to you often over the years, the last 10 years, about postmodernism. Yes? Yeah. Beautiful. So the end of the Vicarage program. We don't need that anymore. It's all good. Thanks, buddy. God bless. Go in peace. Serve the Lord. So, um, you know, you got people like the Vic. Vic, what year, what's, your, what's your birthday, buddy? Uh, December 6, 92. 92. Yeah, we don't understand you at all. So, um, you know, what in the world? What are we going to do, right? And what I find is, you know, in general, this is disconcerting because people think completely different than you do. But, you know, frankly, it's your kids, too, and my kids as well. I mean, they just sit. Um, Claire happened to be home yesterday. I just, you know, this doesn't happen in three years. I just talked to her from the time she woke up till about 3 o'clock. We just talked about stuff. It's just so interesting. The world is so interesting through their eyes. And um, one of the things I've observed in the church and in us, even here at St. John, is when we get off balance, we get a little bit defensive. We get a little bit defensive. We can, you know, we might be outwardly, we might make the motions, but maybe on our own, we make sort of cracks about millennials. I can just tell you my twins hate it when people make millennial cracks. They just hate it. And I'm sure the next generation does too. And here's the reason why. Because like every other thing, you know, whatever you say about white men or, you know, it doesn't, it's just, it's, of course, partially true. It's partially true, but it's partially not true. And the more it's not true, the more antagonistic people get about it. And so uh, one of the things, so this all goes to community and how things work together. One of the things that would be really important is for us to try to understand clearly, non-emotionally, what's going on so that people who work primarily by emotion, I kind of observed to somebody the other day, nobody has said to me in 20 years, what do you think? Right? What do people say instead? How do you feel, right? right? And nobody, nobody ever says, what do you think, right? This thinking isn't what we're good at anymore, but we're quite good at kind of understanding and letting our feelings reign. And we've talked about that in the past, too. So uh, let me give you two things just to sort of get you going. Turn the page to the second page, okay? So I give you this... Um, so I was going to print this out for you. Like, I went and got it, you know, I was going to print it out in normal size like a, like a millennial would do. No, they wouldn't print anything. I was going to, but I, I went and got it, and it was three pages long when it came out in normal print. And then I printed it, this, and then it's so small that you can read this. Now, here's, here's, what I, here's what I, you know, if you can get it bigger, you can read it. Here's the thing. Uh, I just want to take you through a couple of things here. I think that the, my primary my primary nervousness with this is I think the title and the conclusion is unfortunate and unwarranted. I actually don't think it's actually fair to say that um, people who are below 30 don't want to be adults or aren't good at being adults. They're just a different kind of adult. When you say they're not good at being adults, you're basically saying they're not good at being an adult like me, right? They're paying rent. They're working. 
I mean, they own Google. So here's the thing. I mean, they actually are making their way through the world. They're just making their way through the world in a different way. So it's unfortunate to say, you know, you're not an adult. There's something condescending and untrue about that. However, I think at least you should observe a couple of things. Now, I marked mine. I didn't mark yours. Um, But I'm just going to, if you can actually read this. I'm sorry it was so small. I wanted to get it on one page, so I didn't hand out so much. But anyway, this this book by this um, woman who sort of talks about um, so just even the first line, using generations as signposts for understanding group behavior can be a frustrating exercise. Every baby boomer isn't an aging hippie, and every millennial isn't an avocado toast fiend with an entitlement complex, right? <laughs> so, okay, I mean, so it doesn't, and yet people have found there are these broad characteristics about people, which you don't understand because, you know, you thought jelly went on toast. Okay, we're going to move down. Move right underneath where the red book is, okay? So you see the red book? Just at the lines underneath that. To, du- to judge by Miss Twenge's data, tolerance is their religion. Now, see, when you can write that crisply, that's fabulous, okay? This is really, really important. And this is, I mean, in my experience, this is quite true. And if you talk to people, tolerance is their, is their religion, and intolerance is the original sin. And what's so interesting is, um, for you who actually have a Facebook page or might even tweet or snap, you know, God forbid, sorry, uh, you know, what is, the, what is the primary mechanism in social media for enforcing social media civilization? What's the primary, me- what's the primary way in a word? Shame. That is exactly right. And so toleration is the new religion. Tolerance is the new religion. And if you are intolerant in any way, it's not just that people disagree with you. It's that they come hard at you and attempt to shame you. Now, here's the thing. If you went to the catechumenate and you remember that there's um, no guilt, no shame, right? No sin, no guilt, no shame. You're like, you're kind of free of this, right? Hey, I don't care what anybody posts on my Facebook page because I don't have one. The only, but the only problem is what's happening is, is I tried to... When I went out to see Hopkins, you know, to preach for Hopkins and do this weekend thing for him, he's, he's like, I, you know, so what does he say to me that'll be the most confusing thing for the weekend? I booked you into an Airbnb. <laughs> like, what, there's not a Marriott in Massachusetts? <laughs> so I go to pick up my reservation, right? And they say something like, we want to make sure you're a real person. Like, fair enough, you don't want an axe murderer moving in. (laughs) And how can I legitimize, what are the three ways I can show I'm a real person to Airbnb? Anybody know? Facebook, Facebook. don't have it. What? Nope. Nope. Facebook? Nope. Gmail address. It's stjohnwheaton.org. My, all right. I don't have a Gmail, don't have Facebook. And LinkedIn, because I don't have a real job. So... (laughs) I could not check in. I could not check into this place that he booked me because I didn't really exist. Because I didn't have the right credentials. Isn't that interesting? The world is completely different, right? They <laughs> he had to hold me by the hand like a child and lead me up the walk and introduce me to the lady. Yeah, it was like I was like I was 12. You know, 
Uh, that's a long other story. Like, uh, well, anyway. I had to be introduced by a real person, that's right. Hopkins is a real person. He's got stuff. So, right? So tolerance is the new... Is the new um, now, here are some things, and I just sort of be careful with this. Go to the bottom of this first page. Five lines up or six. This is the dark side of tolerance. It begins with good intentions of including everyone and not offending anyone, but ends at best with a reluctance to explore deep issues, and at worst, with careers destroyed by a comment someone found offensive and the silencing of all alternative viewpoints. And so now you sort of think about campuses and the, the big debate on campus. You know, when, if you were my age, the cure for bad speech was more speech, right? Now the cure for bad speech is no speech, right? So take Berkeley, you know. Um, you know, somebody comes to, people come to speak, or it happened at uh, Middlebury, and then, you know, the University of Chicago president, who's always been on the, you know, the University of Chicago president is interesting, because University of Chicago has always fancied themselves as the intellectual place. Even when I had students at Princeton, the ones who went to University of Chicago sort of carried themselves like they were loaded, like they were ready to go. And they wanted you to know, yeah, I went to the University of Chicago. I've read the great books. I've thought about things. Here I come, Right? It was really interesting, but he was the one who sent the letter out and said, you know, there aren't going to be any safe spaces, there aren't going to be any, you know, shouting downs. And then um, he's also had some people on campus. He's basically said we're going to be different than everybody else. It's going to be a really interesting divide about how this plays out and how things work. In any case, that may seem esoteric to you, but if you know anybody under 35 or especially under 25, right, and if you actually want to talk to him at some point about the baby Jesus, you, you, cannot, you cannot go at them you know, as if you're right and they're wrong and you're going to straighten them out and those people over there and how about the... It's just as you might as well speak French to them, right? This is not their worldview, right? So just a little bit more, kind of at the top... Um, Go under the little break that's larger where it says the generations after millennials. Okay, go, I'm sorry, go right to the top, just above that. The, po- patho- blah, 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 blah. the supposed enthusiasm for tolerance among iGeners, so this is her, like 24 and under, 94, 95 is her break point, is trumped by only one thing the desire for safety, a term with a psychological dimension more than a physical one. Isn't this so interesting? This sort of explains a little bit about what was happening around, around the um, uh, election. You can, you, can, you can laugh at that if you want, or you can sort of say people, people are weak, or you can make fun of people. And, uh, but here's the thing. There's a generation of people who think completely and feel completely different than you feel. Right? Forget about political, just, for, just forget about all that. They're constructed in a different way. They've been constructed in a different way. We should have never had those participation trophies. I said, I told them, no participation trophy, but no, right? See, even me, I can do it, right? I can be a bad person and say it. But here's the thing. They're constructed in a different way. Now, you can just throw your hands up and, uh, you know, we can all just say, well, we're just so much smarter and better than all the rest of you. So what? Guess what? Um, you know, in another 20 years, you, you know, every one of your encounters is going to be like the vicar helping me with my batteries, right? It's going to be soft food and walkers for all of you. And what's going to happen to the church? 
It was interesting where I was at, um, on the weekend. They had 30 years ago, they had um, 400 monks and 1,200 nuns, right? That's a lot of, that's a lot of religious. I think that there's um, a couple hundred monks and maybe 400, 300 nuns. But I went to, when I went in the morning, I was struck by there weren't, you know, I went to morning prayer and um, there weren't 10 monks under 40, right? It's mostly old, hobbled guys and, you know. And you, I mean, it was great. I mean, it was great. you think about their lives and what they were and what they've been. But you kind of, I think to myself, you know, in 15 years, when, when 90% of the people I'm sitting with are dead, what becomes of this place? Which is, was once one of the most vibrant Catholic communities in America. I mean, you know, um, St. Benedict's, um, uh, the nunnery, you know, um, St. John's, the abbey. University, seminary, publishing house, art, literature, music, influence. Um, for you who it matters, you know, when Yaroslav Pelikan, one of our guys, you know, one of the great guys who, who you know, that you left the Missouri Senate, but one of the best scholars in the 20th century, you know, one of the three birthday parties he had, I think they had one on the West Coast, one at Yale where he finished teaching, but then his other one was at St. John's. I mean, this is a big deal place, and you say to yourself, they're, they're not, if they have one or two novices in a year, that's a lot of, you know. Uh, I mean, they said we had one last year, and I said, if I join, I could double your numbers, right? <laughs> Which, you know, was humorous only for a short time. So um, I don't know. So they're different than you are, right? They have this desire for safety. But now here is the more interesting thing, or, or maybe, well, another interesting thing. Go down about five lines below this. Um, Miss Twenge is not indulging in hyperbola when she tells us that this is the first generation that prefers virtual to real relationships, right? Now, I can give you a bunch of reasons I think this is true. One is because you're messy, nose to nose. And I've noticed this in our... Um, well, I don't want to... So I've noticed this. Um, a virtual relationship is a curated relationship. You only see the pictures I want to see. You don't see me at my worst moments. If I get anything wrong, you shame me and I take it down. It's the illusion of perfection, or at least the illusion of everything is going wrong just right. And you've all read the Facebook post where it says, somebody says, I'm taking a break because I can't keep up anymore. You've read these, right? Or, you know, people say everybody else is perfect, everybody else's family is perfect, and I'm not. Well, why? Because, uh, you know, we can do this in real time, too. It's one of my great criticisms of Wheaton as a city. Everybody acts like everything is okay all the time, right? The shiny veneer of, you know, perfect evangelicalism. Like, really? Because if I spent 17 minutes with you and we talked honestly, but this virtual relationship allows us to maintain the illusion that everything is okay or that sins are to be submerged, or that we don't really need forgiveness, or that the crucified one doesn't really matter, and that this community is better than a Eucharistic community, and, 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 right? So the troubles aren't just that you might feel disconnected, or you can't understand, or you don't feel close anymore. The trouble is, in an insidious way, it is... There is a self 
protection, maybe a self-indulgence, and maybe even a self-worship in these things. Because, I'm not, just hear me, hear me correctly. I'm not saying social media is bad. I'm not saying, you know, I'm not one of those guys who's like, you know, burn it down and make everybody read the classics. I'm not talking about that. I'm just saying, you know, we, we, whatever we touch, we ruin. So this is, a, this is a generation that never grew up without a cell phone or internet, okay? They never have known a day. I mean, our goal is for kids never to know a day where there's not a Eucharist. But the real thing they've never not known is a smartphone in their hand, right? That doesn't mean it's evil. It's probably good in so many ways, like when you creep on your kids and figure out where they are because you got that little locator, find my friends on, right? Yeah, that's right. I know what you do in your spare time. So here's the thing. It's not that it's all bad. It's just that like everything else, you can use it in a law way or a gospel way. You can use it for good or you can use it for ill. But if you, if you just simply batter away at anybody under 40, 30, or 20, the game is all over. What you do is you fragment community, and you basically are telling people that you don't love them and they don't really matter. I know it may be frustrating. I know it may be confusing. I know that it's difficult. I also know that we're supposed to grow up in all sorts of things like love and kindness and peace and patience and self-control and we're supposed to express that to other people. The, the great quote, which is, you know, I'm going to use kind of next week for the, from Gregory of Nazianzus for the sermon next week, which is God's mercy is expressed through other... Our love, our love for God is expressed through other people back to God. It's the little short quote from Nazianzus in the bulletin today. It's genius stuff. So if you want to try to understand these people, um, this is the way we go. Now, here's the, here's the tough part, okay? Midway down on the right... This generation, she says, is at the forefront of the worst mental health crisis in decades with rates of teen depression and suicide skyrocketing since 2011. Now, here's the thing. One thing is it's all about reporting. Is there really more? I'm not sure. You should be careful with that, and you shouldn't use it as a club on people who may already be suffering, but at least observe you know, what that might mean. And part of it is how the whole notion of suicide has changed in our society and what it means to end your life, and we've been moving toward this for 20 years, and you all know that. I've run several things, and we've talked about it in here a bunch. Um, why don't you just take away their cell phones, right? That's the third, la- second last paragraph. The answer is because if you do that, I don't know if I could take away my kids' cell phones when they, if they were young. If I had kids right now that were 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, I don't think I would take away their cell phones. Because when you do that, you might as well make them be Amish, right? What happens is you take away all their connection to people. Forget about community. It's the connection. It's information flow. It's understanding. It's knowing what's cool and what's not cool. It's knowing where your friends are. It's knowing what the next thing is. It's invitations. It's booking an Airbnb. Take away, you know, take away, you know, their stuff. You know, when you just say, you're a bad parent, you should take away their cell phones. I mean, really, I mean, that is just like, I, I actually can't understand that. You, you, could, you just turn your kid into, there's already enough reasons to beat your kid up on the playground. They have to give them one more, you know? You didn't think that was funny. I did. Okay. Um, <laughs> yes, Mr. Savitsky. There's going to be a musical reference here. Wait for it. What do I think about the fact that what? Steve Jobs. Steve Jobs, yeah. Go ahead. 
Um, it would be interesting to know if he would let him use it today. And what age did he start letting him use it? He, didn't, he, he died before his kids were very old. Well, and that's a, Jobs is such an interesting thing. That's a whole other conversation because he's, he's a, you know, a mad genius in so many ways, right? So, all right, last thing, and I, I really didn't think we were going to get much farther than this, but um, the last thing, I'm not sure that the, the conclusion is warranted that they, it stunted their development of adult skills and created a generation of emotional safety, blah, blah. Here's the thing. Um, yeah, I'm not sure. I mean, I guess you could have the draft back and everybody could go to the Army, and, um, but would people, all, everybody be better for that? Yeah, I'm not sure. I should say one gospely thing before we go. You should accept, well, I mean, partly it's a setup. I wanted to explain to you why we're doing what we're doing, because what I want, I want you to try to, we're going to read the Gospel of John, which if you just sort of say, ah, the Gospel of John, but here's the point of the Gospel of John. Everybody is in here. The freaks, the skeptics, you know, the alternative people, the complete unbelievers, the people who wish they could, but they can't, the people who do and then fail, they're all in this, they're all in the Gospel of John. So, you know, congratulations, everybody that you need to meet is already in the Gospel of John, and Jesus will tell you how to meet one. That's the, that's the upside. But just turn the page to the, I give you then, finally, and I'm going to leave. I'm going to aim at 45 this year, so i got 32 seconds. I have this. I have two. I have this icon twice in my in my office. I um, one of them is a very. This was this is one of the earliest icons of Jesus. Um, this copy is from Mount Sinai, where the monastery is. That is, and it's um, you know earlier than sixth century, sixth century or earlier, and it survived the times the iconoclastic controversies when icons were destroyed and such. So this is a very ancient representation of Jesus. You know, this is. Um, 1,500 years old or so. But this goes by various, this particular thing goes by various names. It can be Jesus Pantocrator, which is Lord Almighty, or Jesus the Powerful, or Jesus the Judge. And there is some of that. Um, I don't know if you can notice. If you, if you split Jesus' face in half right down the middle, okay, like cover one eye, put your hand and cover, put your right hand down and cover his eye, and look at the eye that's on the left. You see that? See how gentle and kind? And look how that extends into the face muscles even. The face muscles are soft and relaxed. The eye is open and not squinting. And he looks at you with love. Okay, now try the other side. Cover the other side. Look at the other side. Right? The eye comes to a squint. The cheek is taut and indented, right? You know, and there is this scrutiny that happens with him. Now, what's going on here? A range of things. That Jesus is both human and divine. That you're both saint and sinner. That Jesus is both law and gospel. He comes out of this blue background. It didn't come out as, as much as um, the one I... I chose the copy because I wanted the face to be best. But you, if you could see this better, he comes out of this blue background, which is the blue background of eternity. He has a nimbus or a halo around his head in gold, which is both light and knowledge, both holiness you know, and wisdom. And he comes to you now, despite what you see in his eyes and his evaluation of you, and you need both. You need the scrutiny and you need the love, right? He comes to you with his hand in the shape of his name, right? In the way that the benediction is put on you or the absolution is put on you or the elements are consecrated. First two letters of his name, Cairo, Christ, right? So he's going to put his name on you and bless him. And in his hand, he holds the scriptures, which he 
is going to open for you, right? So the other name for this is Christ, uh, sometimes Christ the teacher, but more officially, Christ the life giver, right? So, you know, you can take this home and find it. This is an easy one to buy if you wanted to buy an icon. I'm sure they'd have it at the Catholic bookstore if you wanted to get it online. But this might be something you might just think about, that Jesus is Christ the life giver for the whole world. Jesus Christ is the light of the world. The light, no darkness, is overcome. Or, I've come that you might have life and have it abundantly, John 10.10. Right? So what I want you to think about is, you live in this wonderful place, and you know, even people outside say, you're a wonderful community. Keep going, and there's more to do. We've got to get the organ done, the ceiling done, the walls done, this done, the downstairs done. We've got stuff to do. There's more to do. We need to do more toward Florida, and Grace School, and you know, Christmas sharing is up, and you should be buying socks or food or something this week. And you know, there's more to do here. On the other hand, there's this whole world who doesn't even nod to you anymore. They don't know the stories. They don't presume to be Christian. They've ever been, um, somebody came to church a couple of weeks ago and said to Pastor Nelson, um, we've never been in a church before and my kids don't have any idea what to do. <laughs> you can imagine what an act of bravery that was, coming in among you all who are like, you know, you move and bow and scrape and, you know, you know what's going on up, down, and you're looking around. It's like me with the monks. You know, I have four books I'm supposed to figure out where I've got no idea what's going on, right? That's how people come to you. Your choice is you can either say, oh, yeah, another one of those. Or you can say, this is the greatest thing that ever happened. It's a miracle that anybody crosses the threshold. And now, even though these people are very different from me, and you don't have to count just, you know, so I'm going to be 60 this year. I have three generations at least below me, right? It's not just one generation done you have to pay attention to, or two, which we thought we had figured out. There's a third generation that is more different from you, you know, by several factors, you know, several standard deviations in the previous generations, what are you going to do with them? And if you just wave your hand against them, you're not being faithful to Christ. Listen to Ezekiel in the Old Testament reading today. If you don't tell them, their blood is on your hands. Whew, that's a tough reading, right? So anyway, we're going to see if John can help us through that, and we got to go. But here we go. Come back. Tend your giving. Be generous. Christmas sharing. All the rest. Here we go. And go look at Carol's flowers, because they're really nice. All right, here we go. Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, deliver us from evil, for thine is the kingdom and the power glory forever and ever. Amen. Thanks. See you.